1: Moritz Sieben and I, Niels Karstblasen, are back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series, which is our weekly ongoing raw exploration of the world of rules-based investing, and of course where we also take some of your questions. But today, just like uh, the last few weeks, we're going to deviate a bit from our usual format because we have an absolutely fantastic guest joining us, namely Harold De Boer from TransTrend. Harold has been on the podcast before, and I'm sure you will agree that this is the perfect time to have him back to discuss all of the things that are going on at the moment. So, let me start by saying welcome back to the show, Harold. We are really delighted to be speaking with you today. And of course, good afternoon to you, Moritz. Hope you're both doing well after a busy week, no doubt. Very busy. Busy week. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Hi Harold, very nice to meet you. Good afternoon, Niels.
1: Hope everyone is doing fine. Sure, absolutely.
3: Very nice to be in the show.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have lots of things to talk about uh, with you, Hal, but what Morris and I normally start out with is just to do uh, like a little market uh, wrap in terms of what happened this week uh, from a lens of uh, of the trend following systems that we uh, work with. So uh, if you don't mind, have an extra sip of your coffee uh, or your water, <laughs> and then uh, Morris and I will do a quick rundown Um And from my part, I mean, I normally do kind of a a bit of a market wrap. I'm going to keep it really short to two things. One is, of course, in terms of market moves. uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about this later as well, perhaps. um, But energy was certainly in the focus, as was Lean Hogs, uh, by the way, in terms of uh, magnitude of moves this week. But instead of doing a, a, a market wrap, I just want to encourage everyone to perhaps uh, who have the the uh, subscription to Real Vision. I was watching an interview yesterday with Nouriel Roubini. And I have to say, it's quite a sobering uh, account of what he expects might happen. It's kind of going from even a greater recession from what we saw in 2008 to a greater depression from what we saw in the 1930s. And of course, he has... Uh, a long list of arguments for why that may happen. So instead of me babbling on about, um, you know, what happened this week, I just think it's a good thing to... uh, just open our eyes to uh, some of these um, thoughts and opinions from people because if indeed he's even remotely right, then this is just the beginning of something much bigger than we can even imagine. And uh, and that's going to obviously impact all investors, their portfolios, and of course, in particular, uh, maybe a strategy that we are working uh, with, uh, such as trend following. So anyways, Mart, what caught your uh, attention this week? Uh, and um, yeah, how... How are things, generally speaking? Actually,
2: that same video. Um, as a subscriber to Real Vision, I think I watched that on Tuesday or Wednesday nights, the Dr. Doom interview. Um, you know, you, you come out of these interviews, so I always take them with a grain of salt. I mean, it's it's very nice to you know listen to those forecasts and kind of like get a spectrum and a feel for what could actually all go wrong. And sure, it could, but it doesn't mean that it actually will. So let's see how it plays out. I mean, in the current market environment, there's uh it, it's it's easy to paint it all black um it's equally easy to say oh we're on the on the back of a recovery and the bull market has started honestly my opinion is i don't know nobody knows uh let the prices dictate what comes next really this this is what i'm what i'm doing and this is what my system has been doing this past week it's been a good week um not spectacular I mean plus two, two and a half percent, something like that. And most of that actually coming from the meat markets. So being short hogs, being short live cattle, those were the biggest peanut producers this past week. Um, I've lost money uh, quite considerably on um, my short energies positions, especially crude oil. Uh, crude oil is massively volatile at the moment. It had a substantial rally on Thursday and also a strong rally yesterday on Friday on the back of uh, you know President Trump intervening and suggesting a meeting of the OPEC plus on Monday which by the way it seems is not going to be held um, according to the latest news that I've picked up just an hour ago because Saudi Arabia and Russia don't want to meet on Monday they need more time to prepare it so Let's see uh, where that price is going. It's been volatile. Not only the front month contract, uh, the outright contract has been volatile, but also the time spreads along the curve, which is something that you don't normally see in that fashion. You know that the calendar spreads behave normally uh, a bit better, but in the last 48 hours saw everything from you know June to December being completely repriced in a very volatile fashion. So it's it's a market to uh, to have an eye on. It's it's very interesting. Um, yeah, so that's it. But uh, I'm I'm happy with the way Muff, uh, you know, my, my trading. Um, when I compare that, I've mentioned that last week to long only buy and hold buy and hope in equities. Uh, it's looking really cool. I'm up five uh, percent this year, and this compares very nicely to I would say most of the institutional portfolios out there, who aren't up five percent this year. <laughs> true
1: true yeah i mean on our side i would say it was another quiet week uh slightly positive so that's always nice obviously the themes have been the same as you mentioned uh i mean for the week, our biggest contributor f- for sure was Lean Hawks, which is quite interesting that you can have these relatively small uh, commodity markets uh, have a meaningful impact on on performance. So that's really nice to see. Of course, we also gave back some money in uh, our short positions in, in energy. Um, but then, you know, kind of towards the end of the week, uh, there was some nice... Uh, um, you know, moves in in currencies where the dollar started to uh, gain a bit of traction and, and, and our positions uh, was, you know, rewarded for that. So all in all, um, continuation of what we have seen on our side during uh, the month of March, which is relatively low volatility in returns, uh, risk very much under control um, and, um, yeah, uh, opportunities uh, across many different sectors. But let's leave it, for uh, this week in terms of market wrap because much more importantly we have Harold on this week and uh, which is fantastic. Um, I don't think people uh, need any introduction to you Harold because you're a legend in our industry and uh, and so is TransTrend um, and, and of course people can always go back and listen to um, the previous interviews um, that we've done. Uh, so I want to jump straight into it if you don't mind Harold. I mean March, since this is so uh, clear in our minds um, still, um, we saw from a trend-following perspective some of the biggest uh, return dispersions that I've seen in a long time. I So far, I've seen numbers from plus 31% to minus 12 all coming from what I would consider established managers, managers with a long track record and not just, you know, 5 or 10 million dollars under management, let's put it that way. So, I just wanted to start out and, and hear kind of your thoughts when you when you hear this uh, and and how you feel in general, our space as a whole have kind of responded to, um, you know, as we were talking about before uh, we pressed record, I mean, how we've responded to something that certainly wasn't in our data set. I mean, no corona crisis uh, has ever happened to the world before. So, uh, I just want to start out with some of your overall thoughts uh, on this
3: well the um, the the wide f- diversification or the wide variation between different trend following CTAs or CTAs that used to be trend following is in itself a very good sign. Um, I think one of the weaknesses of the last years is that let's say, the CTA industry became big by many independent traders doing independent stuff um, and these different stuff collectively brought something that you could call trend-following returns but the basis of it was that these different traders did different stuff they did do the stuff differently Um, if you could reproduce these returns uh, analytically by very standard things but you could also realize that if all those ctas would have done exactly that it wouldn't have happened because then there would have been a market impact that's much too large Um, Over the last decade, there has been a period that uh, this standard thinking has become kind of the leading idea that it should be like that, which isn't very good. It has to be different training doing different things. And um, I know in in the past, we used to be highly correlated with another CTA, our returns were, while what we said and how we thought about the market was exactly opposite to what many of the things they said. And that's good. That is healthy. Because then you are considered to be correlated. Yes, we are. And maybe underlying we are profiting from the same thing. But at the same time, we're doing different things. And a market, healthy markets need different participants doing different things also CTA so this there was a whole idea that it would be good that it would be something like the CTA index or a CTA industry that have an index and that they try to outperform but that's really undermining the whole success of CTAs it should be people doing different things and that's what we see right now I would say in trend following underlying trend following this two basic uh, principles that made a lot of trend-following CTAs do well in typical crisis scenarios. One of them is, and that's the one that's mostly preached about, that is the more classic stop-and-reverse kind of idea that looks from individual market position, kind of telling well, if a market that was going uptrending reverses to a short trend, a trend-following CTA will reverse its long position into a short position, and then if the decline continues, profit from it. this is a nicely and easily understood idea, and it especially sells well when you kind of bring the idea that the reversal is done at the top, which of course is not the case. It's always after the reversal, so then that is the first this this loss there. Um, this is an easy understood story, but that is not the, really the story that explains all uh, trend following returns it's very important that most CTAs are not trading one or two markets, they're trading a diversified portfolio. And the diversification aspect is another element that make trend followers CTAs often do well in crisis scenario, especially in a scenario where the crisis comes from one space of the market. So for instance, in the oil crisis, Russia crisis in the end 90s, it was first the oil prices where something was happening and that a big decline of oil market ultimately res- resulted in Russia getting into problems. And that resulted in a broader stock market collapse. CTAs, trend following CTAs did well in those periods, not by being massively short stocks. Although maybe they would have said they were, but no, they made most money <laughs> by being short oil already. So they're being close to the source of the, of the crisis. The same in the credit crisis. This is typically a crisis that of course did not start in stock markets. It only came into the stock markets in 2008, but it started in the interest rate markets. And most CTAs doing well in that period were not making most money in short stocks again, but they're making most money in those interest rate trends. Um different CTAs are making different choices. Uh, Transcend has been extremely aiming at this diversification element always. And the last few years, we've done that even stronger. Um, this has in certain uh, crises, this has an advantage. In other crises, it's a disadvantage. And typically for this one, because the coronavirus was something that is not happening from within the market space, but from outside we did not have a large long positioning coronavirus coronaviruses or something. It wasn't possible, we didn't even want to have it, but <laughs> you don't have it. Uh, this was something that came from outside and overwhelmed the market. Well, In this situation, a strategy that uh, tries to profit from the diversification element uh, doesn't have direct the, 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 the big results from reversing markets and that continue, but doesn't do much more than keeping the losses limited, what's happened to our portfolio during most of March. Only during the end of March and the first weeks of April, now can you see that the impact of this crisis is that different markets start to move different directions again. Uh, new kind of trends, uh, different stocks, let's say the Netflix kind of stocks are doing well because people stay at home and are watching television uh, while other stocks are doing not so well. Um, So there's now a new diversification coming on again and that's more the scenario where our strategy is better aimed at than the uh, reversal from outside.
1: Yeah, I mean, just before uh, uh, Morris jumps in on this, I just want to follow up with with a question here. I mean, I agree with what you say. I think that there has been uh, certainly a convergence in terms of managers, uh, their returns. They they, they looked more similar compared to maybe, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But I just wanted to ask you then, what do you think that they did to look more similar? And what do you think might happen now or, or, and, and do you think we're going back to managers starting to become more different again because oh, they, and they I have think this...
3: already to become more different again uh, let's yeah. say, different uh ctas have really made different choices we all know about winton that has really chosen to go away from we see some ctas that are really doing a lot into machine learning strategies in which they are stepping away from uh, from traditional trend following uh, ideas Uh, you you can use a strategy for a trend following strategy but you can also use it for other ways so there is there is now the last few years there's there's, this a very healthy diversion diversification within the ctas again yeah Uh, the, the different ctas really made different choices
1: yeah and of course it, sometimes these things can actually be quite hard to uh, to spot. I think because a lot of people will just look at the correlation, and 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 correlation might be high between two managers, but returns can be very different. Yeah. Um. So so it may actually take a little bit of time before investors realize. That uh, that there is more choice now um, because I've heard that many times. People saying, "Oh, we already have a trend follow. We di- we don't need another one." Uh, I'm not so sure that's a, a good. Uh, that's 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 absolutely
3: g- not true anymore, and, yeah, and uh, yeah. uh, it, it it really helps. It also correlation can be for a short time. What eh? I said in 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 the past already in the nineties there was one CTA that was very much correlated and the performance were very much alike, but. At the same time, the story was completely different. And, yeah. and then we came in 2001, 2002, and then all of a sudden the, the returns were completely different, which wasn't that suddenly, because those returns matched to these different ideas. In mm.
1: yeah, in that sense,
3: it's, it's maybe better to listen to the ideas of different managers than to just look at the outcome of it, because the outcome is uh, is something that is more shorter term and tells less then the idea style, especially when you get in a situation that you have not seen before
1: what are you thinking this saturday Moritz? what's on your mind
2: that's all very interesting you know the um cta is changing their style like harold said he mentioned the name winton moving away from trend following or reducing the weight of trend following in their overall system setup and uh, Adding more equity exposure, equity factors, long short equity. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but it's definitely more in that space. Other CTAs implementing machine learning or artificial intelligence techniques into their trading programs? I sometimes question, and this I this is this is purely a question. I'm not stating anything here. To what extent is that done in order to create a better sales story? Because machine learning and AI is something that's that's very fancy to talk about. I'm not smart enough to understand what it is. I don't think that long enough track records exist in order to really judge, statistically judge, the quality of a decision to make a change. Um, and I believe that with pure price-driven, trend-following trading track records, which exists for 40-plus years, like you know, Niels, right? This is a very, very stable statistical body of evidence that's very difficult to overrule and say, I'm going to ditch it only because we've had five difficult years. So is it, you know, I think CTAs can become diversified, trend-following CTAs can be diversified and still be trend-following CTAs by choosing markets differently, by choosing risks differently, by choosing entry and exit signals differently, by choosing holding times differently this that and the other thing combining systems it doesn't it doesn't require you to make a change necessarily into machine learning but maybe from a marketing and commercial point of view that is the right thing to do if you want to sell and have a story well, yeah. around
3: it there's two different things there is there has been and always has been let's say the framing story and what's really being done and uh, machine learning and all kinds of hypes have been there that were not often not really a difference. The, the, the first ones that were really successful with using machine learning techniques already in the 90s were not really using machine learning. They, they were wanting to use that term and what they did was limiting the possibilities of the machine learning strategy so much that it exactly did what they had d- decided to do already. Well, that's a nice way that you can say we are doing machine learning, but essentially you're just doing what you want us to do anyway, but for marketing purposes, you can do so. Heavily and, supervised and that, that's machine learning. And you see this, the same thing, let's say, when it's about ESG also, uh, a hype, uh, you can use ESG and, and, and terms and uh, talk about it while still doing exactly the same thing. You can also decide to do things differently. Um the idea that uh, you don't change at all is also not really true because we all know that in the past we all were trading on the trading floor and the trading floor there's no one standing there anymore. And in this situation, it's very good because suppose all people would still, all these brokers would still be standing on that f- trading floor, 30 centimeters away from each other. That isn't exactly Corona friendly, I would say. Um, so <laughs> in that sense, there has been a big change. And that also makes that some of our strategies, you could say the, the basic underlying ideas can still be the same, but the way they are executed is completely different. So, doing a backtest that 30 years ago is is complete meaningless in that sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way I think about this topic, I mean, I think what you bring up Moritz, is, is is very valid, and I think the this is one of those periods where investors, as much as as much as managers, we we have a chance to to look at the choices we've made, and uh, and and without a doubt, uh, there are people who have. Um, Uh, evolved in the direction you mentioned with machine learning and alternative data and all of these things uh, less liquid markets whatever it might be so we now have a chance to look at okay what actually happens to these strategies uh in a situation that we uh, can certainly say is unprecedented uh and we haven't seen it before because as we talked about earlier it's always different and 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 from my and this is early, but this is early still, right? The data is still coming out, and and by all means, this is not over yet. But the early indications to me is that some of these newer techniques aren't really as robust as you uh, would have liked them to be, or as some investors probably would have been led to believe that all of this uh, magic happening uh, inside the computer with very few people knowing what it's doing that that's better i mean we can talk about people from our own industry you mentioned a few names and 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 certainly i I would say that some of the march results we're already seeing um shouldn't really have happened meaning that that's not what they were trying to do for sure Uh, we see with people and this is from from picking it up from the um from the newspapers people like renaissance technologies i mean their equity uh, strategy was down i don't know twenty, twenty-four percent which might be a little bit better than the s p but you know again for people to, who are you know that clever um you would kind of hope that they could deliver a different uh profile in 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 my view because why else would you pay high fees uh so so i think it's it's a really interesting period because i think you know and and i'm hoping of course even though it may not come true (laughs) i'm hoping that people will start and give these classical trend following strategies that are not they are simple in some ways they're not easy to do um but they are maybe simpler in construction than some of these um you know other type of quant strategies that we actually get the credit That as an industry that we deserve, in my opinion, because I think what we really do is we take something which is highly complex and we make it simple. And I think that process is what you know requires a lot of sophistication on our part. And yet again, we see that um, we can deliver something uh, that is is very robust. Now, of course, we, we we can talk about long term trend following versus short-term managers, because obviously the short-term guys, to some extent, frankly, have been beating up trend followers a little bit ahead of this, saying, oh, you're never gonna deliver what you used to deliver because markets have changed and and what have you. And, and so far, I haven't seen any evidence that that's true. I think um, in February 2018, which wasn't a crisis, clearly short-term managers, to some extent, did a bit better, not massively better, they did probably a little bit better, but I don't see, as an industry, that playing out in March. Manager by manager, there will be some great short-term returns, but so will there be some great long-term trend-following returns. Um, so I think there's so many so many things we can learn and so many things we need to discuss. Uh, and I can't wait to um, to hear the reaction from from investors. Uh, you know what they're thinking about uh, all of this because. You know things have changed it's been it's been a tough 10 years or so uh, for for our our part of the space because we didn't really have anything to show when people were making these claims um so yeah I, that was just kind of yeah, random thoughts
3: you know the, the, the uh maybe we as industry in the past um, have made a mistake by too much embracing the idea of a black box it wasn't ourselves bringing that idea, but this idea was doing very well. And ultimately, it's not good to just say, well, it's a black box and uh, you take it and look at the profits and uh, that, that, that should be it. Uh, I think that was a bad idea. We it's, it's very important that we tell what we are doing. And, and if you also tell different things, it's even more better. And if that different doing, making different choices leads to different outcomes, that's even better. And... Of course, th- what you do want is that these outcomes do fit with the story, and that's that's the most important thing. And, and as such, um, uh, yeah, you talked about the short-term traders or the longer-term trend followers. But I I think that we should be somewhat uh, reluctant in using these even these terms. If we, we just talk about individual managers, what choices do different individual managers make? and and the but more, uh, more they m- are different from each other ultimately as an industry will be, we will be doing better
1: okay i i i, I agree with that terrible but help me out here how do we change the conversation because what people what, what people love to do is to put things in buckets right so yeah. either you're a trend follower or you're a short-term manager, or you're this, or you're that. So how do we? Let's move the narrative. I mean, you write some wonderful white papers. I know lots of my clients and prospective clients who who rave about them. So you know, so so you you have the gift of the gap when it comes to putting words on papers. So how do we change the narrative? What do what should we be talking about? How do we differentiate? Because again, when people hear the word trend following, they often think we're doing more or less the same thing. And they they say, oh yeah, but there's only like five ways you can do trend following right so help 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 me out there's
3: there's a choice here because if you
1: um if
3: you write a story if you do tell something do you choose to tell the story that fits within the box or are you willing to tell the story that goes outside the box and ultimately it's best to and but for a short-term marketing point of view it's often better to stay within the box, especially when the box is doing well and when the thing is popular. So there's, there's a consequent, um, let's say, uh, mismatch between what's the best story to tell and what's making the best profits. CTAs as an industry, we have, done, uh, we have delivered our best performance in the periods that we were completely non-accepted. Yeah. Uh, if, if someone at a university uh, wrote about trend following, he had to tell it, was, it wouldn't work. And that's why we did do well. So if we want, uh, we did well by b- because we were prepared to do something and to tell stories that people didn't believe and didn't want to hear. Well, for selling point of view, that's not that good. But ultimately for performing, daring to tell the story that people do not really want to hear, um, but if they think somewhat deeper about it, they think, hmm, could be true, ultimately it's the best thing to do. That's with all uh, changes in 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 society. Uh, anything changes. It's, it's uh, let's say the elderly people were not waiting for a mobile telephone, but they all are using it now. Yeah, uh, but even how? my mother, my mother didn't want to be be on the screen on the telephone. She didn't want her face on the telephone. My nephew had to keep calling her until she accepted it because now my the the children are not visiting grandmother anymore. Yeah. But now she has contact because she had to choose. Yeah. If, we, yeah. if we make our storyline such that the people that are not really willing to accept different things are most enthusiastic about it, we will not end up in doing things that ultimately will be the best.
1: But how do we avoid investors ending up with the least amount of exposure to trend following right at the point where they need it the most? I mean, this is what happens when you when you kind of stick to your story that nobody wants. Because, you know, frankly, we've seen the industry shrink. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, yeah, we can, we can certainly tell the... And, I, I'm, you know, I'm obviously agreeing with you. I mean, we can tell our story... And people may not like it, they might think someone else has a better story and they're going to go invest with that yeah, conversion strategy. Our, when, well, when,
3: we, when we narrowed our story and we didn't do it ourselves, it was more the newcomers that were narrowing the story. Uh, when we were narrowing the story too much, it ended up in becoming a period in which we as a whole, as a group, did not do well. So narrowing the story isn't... It, it may be for short term, it may uh, attract a lot of money to the mm-hmm. industry. But it ultimately doesn't result in performance. So we have to be willing to tell the story that is a little bit aside from what people directly expect.
2: Sure. What is Harold, if I can ask that, what is the the trans trend story? Or would you say it's also good to not really have a story and not do this, you know, I have this unorthodox type of thing, and you know, maybe maybe it's good enough to have no story and say, look, we're we're using techniques with a broad enough brush so that when we apply to price data, which as you said, markets change all the time, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the pits are no longer there. That's fine. You know, we're also making changes, slight changes through our trading systems. And, you know, there's a little bit of evolution going on, but nothing is so overly optimized that it becomes, that is, it loses robustness, right? It's, it, 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 it works with different market regimes. So what what really is the story? This this by itself is a great story. So what what else do I need to tell people?
3: Well, that can well, what, be. A, that, what, what does that, trends trend? That can be a story. Well, our story is that uh, market is not something that are moving away from society. That what's happening, and, and we are not. Uh, we, we do not believe in a world that is not changing. We say that a constantly changing society is the main driver for all kinds of trends. Uh, if people wouldn't have chosen to use uh, computers for everything and to use Internet, then of course, uh, Nokia wouldn't have become large and then small again, and and later on, uh, Apple wouldn't have. It's these large trends are the outcome of big trends in society. And we have to connect to that. Uh, We we can say, let's say in the past we were doing very, very well and making lots of money on trading Atsuki red beans on the Tokyo exchange the Tokyo Crane Exchange, it was a lot of different exchanges at the moment. And we can tell that story, but it's better to understand why was it doing well and why can't we do that anymore? That's much better to understand and a much better story than telling, well, uh, history, it turns out it worked and will continue working. No, that market is just almost not traded anymore for a good reason. We made money for a reason in those markets in in that period. We cannot do that anymore we made a lot of money in uh in europe in interest rates markets in the period coming on to the when the euro came it did cost that big change led to a lot of trends but that's these typical trends will not return we will not see uh the french uh currency coming close to the dutch currency anymore because we have the same thing it it cannot happen anymore so it's our story is then to get away from this idea of a black box and computers just finding trends, but try to make the connection. Look, what we try is to be connected to what's happening in society and try to pick up the trends and make choices for that. And among those cho- choices are changing the markets that we are trading. The, 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 we, we trade markets right now that we didn't trade 10 years ago. And most probably in 10 years from now, we are going to make profit in markets that we are not trading right now. Yes. So it's that's 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 an important element.
2: The portfolio changes. Yeah, that's yeah. right.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, maybe maybe related to that, Harold. Um, I've picked up that that you're using synthetic markets. Um, yeah. Which I'm not sure how many dimensions you're using, whether that's a simple spread, two-sided spread, or whatever. But maybe you can explain to the audience a bit what it is that you're doing there, and maybe give, if you can a concrete example of one of those markets and how you're looking at that?
3: Oh, that's many variations of it. Well, the mo- the most simple one is the ones that probably many uh, CTAs will do. Uh, you can trade the euro versus the dollar and you can trade the Canadian dollar versus the dollar. You can also trade the euro versus the Canadian dollar. And the best thing to do that is by combining the euro future with the Canadian dollar future. That's a very simple one. And these trends are different. The advantage of you doing a lot of those is um, what often happens if since most currency futures are listed or quoted in the us dollar uh, and if you trade only those you end up having only a u.s dollar risk concentration or either long u.s dollar or short u.s dollar. often if you forget that the dollar is in it then it's not that uh, you don't even see it um many people think that they don't trade the dollar but they are trading it a lot even in many commodities can you we trade oil but should oil necessarily be traded versus the US dollar? Or can we trade it versus other currencies? Wouldn't it be more relevant to trade it versus other currencies? So there's many commodities that we trade, we trade it versus other currencies in a synthetic way. So there's another way. Instead of a cross-rate, you get, you combine a commodity with another currency in, in one that is more relevant.
1: What do you use as evidence for that being for that working, so to speak? I mean, what what are you looking for um, to see that that actually is a better thing to do? I think the reason I ask is because we we have... There's a few topics on this podcast that really gets us going in terms of, uh, um, you know, nice, friendly, but heated discussions. Um, one is vault targeting. That's always a good uh, oh, topic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other one is this thing about should you trade 300 markets or should you trade 50, 60 markets and so on and so yeah. forth. I seem to remember when uh, when you were on the podcast a couple of years ago that you talked about, and I could be completely wrong here, that you had gone at some point the way to say, okay, let's just trade as many markets as possible, 300 plus markets, and then uh, more recently, you had started to bring that down again. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, tell me, t- t- tell me a little bit more about okay, that.
3: Okay, well, um, uh, trading as many as possible markets, uh, typical also is a marketing thing. Look, we trade okay. 500 markets right now, but uh, still some investors are doing, managers are doing that. Uh, you see people telling stories about that they are trading South American cranes, uh, South African cranes. Sorry, South African crane markets. Well, that can be a nice story, but no one is ever going to make one million dollar in one of those contracts in a month, right. because these contracts are very small. So it adds to the number of markets trading. But once you have decent size, it it isn't really counting. Um, There are some markets that can be traded large, but you have to do it differently. For instance, electricity markets in Europe. When we started to trade power, we traded, I think, eight or nine different uh, contracts. So in our list was nine contracts of power. Look how many markets we are. But all of them we traded very small because the way we were trading them couldn't really do it then we realized that we could trade some of these markets much larger, but then we had to trade them large and use other ways of executing them. And uh, so we brought down the number of power contracts we were trading, but at the same time, the size of our power trading has been growing significantly. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's an element. So instead of saying, okay, add more markets and it's, it will bring more diversification now, it only helps if you can take. Uh, p- uh, size, position positions. in those markets. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. some of these alternative markets are very small. Some of them are just uh, almost having the same trends as more liquid other markets and it's just more expensive to trade them. Well, let's say lumber is really different markets. And of course, it would be great if, if the lumber market would be much larger. But there is sure. many small markets that are really not really adding something, no, no the trend. So it doesn't re- make really sense to, to trade those markets very large. So it's, it's uh, we have to make more uh, choices there that what we do not want is to trade as many as possible t- markets. But what we do really want is to be sizable invested in different trends. Well, we can <laughs> get more sizable uh, invested in a power trend by trading less power contracts and trading the bigger than by trading more power contracts.
1: When you talk about that, I kind of get the feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I kind of get the feeling that in order to do what you uh, are explaining, you need to go off exchange in certain markets. Yes. Um, of we, course, they're, the CTL They're, clear,
3: they're clear on exchange, the execution.
1: Okay. Okay, so, yeah, because, I mean, that's one of the things that, obviously, I've also noticed over the years that one of the things that, that kind of happened uh, and also I guess it's obviously a function of size. When, when certain managers become, um, you know, at a certain size, they they have to go off exchange. But one of the things that CTAs kind of as an industry have, has been built on and what I think we've – which has stood as well over many different crises along the way is the fact that we are, you know, very liquid, you know, exchange-driven, yeah. no counterparty – unnecessary counterparty risk and all that stuff. How do you um, – how do you think about that and how do we, I mean, let's imagine the, the corona crisis is just what pops a much bigger problem, mm-hmm. right, for the financial industry. And and therefore, at some point, we're going to bring bring in the banks uh, to all of this, which are, by the way, down like 95% mm-hmm. as a banking index since the last crisis. I haven't really recovered. Uh, it, it, so even though they say that they're stronger than they were going into the last crisis, anyways, I mean... That's a different risk element, um, of course. So, um, how do how do we think? How do you think about it? And how do we avoid? Um, if you if you choose to go off exchange, um, how do you avoid uh, taking on too much of, of counterparty risk?
3: Now you have to again. We we all most of the things we do, except for some um, uh, currencies, OTC currencies. But most of them, we clear as a futures, so there's no counterparty risk. It's okay. the execution, the way liquidity works has been changing over, over the years. The same in stock markets, but also in, in many futures markets. And uh, there is different ways. Let's say the uh, it, it's very well known in, in, in currency markets that you can do an EFP.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, so you can, uh, I, I know in the past there had been a period that um, CME published their open interest numbers on, the, on their slotty contract. And we called them and said, well, your open interest numbers aren't right. And they say, how do you know? Well, our position is larger than that. Um, <laughs> and it was on CME. Um, but of course, we didn't trade those contracts on screen CME, but we did it EFP way. Well, yeah. that's where the liquidity is, is, is different from market to market. In currency markets, they offer much more liquidity, not in the future, but you can do it via an EFP or a block or another way. Um, And in that sense, it doesn't really matter how large that futures contract is. But still, you do not have the counterparty risk. Only from an execution point of view, of course, you have to be very careful because you do not want to end up in a situation that you get liquidity problems. Um, But as we've all learned from um, uh, from the credit crisis uh those liquidity issues can be a problem also when you're using uh, give ups if one broker doesn't accept the give from another one you still have a liquidity issue yeah. so yeah. it's liquidity is something that has to be watched but uh, liquidity is not something that you should look at by just look at the open interest and the volume on exchange uh, that is Correct. only one element of liquidity
2: you can source the liquidity in different ways um yeah you know we're doing that with the uh unrelated to this to this program but you know some of the single stock futures you would source it in yeah. an efp type of way in the cash market and cross it into the futures yeah. contract at the end of same the session thing. same thing and um but one thing about the the central clearing i mean most of the 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 absolute vast majority of the risk that that we have on is centrally cleared yeah listed centrally cleared not even otc centrally no, cleared no. but Um, I want to make the point that, you know, with all the regulation that has been going on, forcing more trade and more volume to become centrally cleared, maybe that in itself at some point in time is a risk that we're at that point kind of like kindedly overlooking or maybe not thinking enough about. uh, Because in our experience, there's never been a real stress and crack in that market. And you may be getting... uh, more diversification and maybe stability if you feel comfortable operating you know with an Ista confirmation and a CSA and you have you know exchange of cash collateral under that CSA with different counterparties on a daily basis uh, and therefore more widespread distribution of your credit risk as opposed to concentrating it in one clearinghouse
3: no, but that that's that's a really issue if you on on our website you can find a story written by our uh, head of uh, risk management uh, in which he responded to a concern on systematic risk by the Dutch National Bank and uh, the clearing houses becoming too large and growing too, too big is one of the i think seven elements of of uh, systematic risk that can happen. Another one is P, uh, different CTA of different traders too much using the same execution strategies, for instance, is also a systemic risk. Uh, another one is using the same failure risk measurements is also systemic risk. So, so there's many ways that uh, systemic risks can happen. And often these systemic risks are the outcome of regulators trying to solve the last crisis. And they create Correct. a new uh, systemic risk it's a very relevant uh, issue to to look at um, and and that's one element that in all the choices we make we have to be very carefully that we are not adding to systemic risk but are somehow correct uh, and
2: I think a lot of people don't even look at that they take it for granted that if yeah. you're trading on cME that that is the safest way of doing things because it's always been done that way and therefore it doesn't <laughs> require a second look and you know I I'm not saying that this is, you know, it, it's bad to trade on CME. On the contrary, I'm just saying, you know, be aware and mindful that, you know, at the end of the day, you have a very concentrated risk in clearing houses.
3: Yeah, but you know, when, when the um, when the CME one and a half year ago uh, kind of was putting all marketing in their Bitcoin futures, mm. we addressed them and said that we found that a serious issue uh, because these Bitcoin futures were cleared in the same box as all the other futures and there was very much uh, uh, a bubble going on there that was blowing bigger and bigger and we found it wrong that uh, other futures uh, contracts clearing could be harmed by investors losing too much on bitcoins.
2: Yeah, I mean they they, they put up more huge the initial margins on on the bitcoin futures I yeah. think in response to that, right, where you had like you know 75% of the contract as initial margin or something like that, right?
3: So I, d- I don't mind people making making or losing a lot of money in bitcoin and and some people will lose uh, more than they have on it, but it's bad that that results in problems in other markets.
2: Some brokers require full collateralization yeah. of the thing, right? So you kind of like have to pay up front. There's no leverage; you just pay for yeah. the notion value of the contract. Which very good.
3: It's very good. Um,
2: one one other thing I wanted to I, I want to really come back on on the on on the markets, uh, Harold, because we had this on a previous episode where we, uh, you know, were speaking about um, diversification benefit and correlation, and so. What I understood from, from you is that really you are removing markets from your portfolio solely because of liquidity reasons. If the market is not meaningfully liquid and therefore cannot be traded with a meaningful size in your portfolio, you may drop it because it doesn't really add much to the bottom line. And this is a point that I understand. You know, if if yeah. you know, you're trading a billion dollar fund, um, well, you know, there's only that much that you can do in lumber.
3: Period. Yeah, but we still right. trade low, but that's no problem. But we, okay, fine. But because so, there's no my, alternative for it and we cannot trade it large. But right, right, we're not right. going to trade a market that we can only trade small, while we can uh, capture from the same underlying trend better in c- a more c- correct, liquid. Correct,
2: correct. correct. Contract. But, but the, the discussion that we had here was, um, say, you're tra- say you're looking at the petroleum or the energy complex, right? You're looking at heating oil, gasoline, crude, rent, correlated markets, right? Yeah. For the most time maybe a little bit of less correlation this past week, but, you know, over longer periods of time, positively correlated markets. Yeah. So would you ever say, and, and you know, I I had this I said, like, no, I'm, I'm trading all of those markets. I will trade heating oil and I will trade WTI. They're yes. correlated, I know that, right? But there are points when they're not correlated. So I will give them, like in my overall budget, I will adjust, I, I will, you know, take account of that positive correlation and the sizing will respond to that, you know, if I have them both on long at the same time, for instance, but still I will trade them. There's no way I will exclude that market from my portfolio because I know the correlation is not perfect, which means the correlation is not one. And every time this is true, Mathematically true. This is the golden rule of diversification, mm-hmm. right? There is a that there is a benefit that you can harvest from trading them both, and that improves your risk-adjusted return. And if I'm I'm not accepting a view that says, oh no, I'm not trading heating oil because it correlates uh, with uh, crude, and I want to have a more sizable position with crude. Yeah.
3: No, no, we are we are trading heating oil, and we are not and we are not only trading heating oil, but we are trading different months of heating oil nearby and further away because they can be different as well
2: as we and, have seen
3: yeah so now it's, it's very relevant to trade all of them but then to realize yeah. that it's just one trend and it's a very nice thing we can do with that because um, as an active trader we can also be a liquidity provider and what we are doing more and more is when there are differences in these different contract months... or things that are exactly the same... we prefer to buy the cheap one and to sell the expensive one... while trading the same trend. So you're trading the spreads? Uh, yes. Now we are not trading the spreads. Uh, sometimes you're trading the spreads, but... if, if you're long, you long and you potentially want to buy more... then buy the cheapest one. If you potentially want to sell something sell the expensive one.
2: Uh, you mean on the same contract but you know a different point in point point of delivery?
3: Uh, a different point of delivery or let's say on a different uh, marketplace uh, you 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 can you can trade a Nikkei on on Singapore, you can trade a Nikkei on Tokyo, you can trade a Nikkei on CME. Correct. Yeah. Um, why why would we choose on forehand that we want to sell it on let's say Singapore if we know that the only way these, this contract is liquid is because there's some short-term trader that is making money by being your counterparty on Singapore and find another counterparty on, on Japan, fair enough. Then that profit the short-term trader makes is something that we rather keep ourselves.
2: Speaking about the trading, I, I I absolutely like the idea of trading different contract months and that's one of the things that I'm doing. Um, obviously, depending on the market that you're looking at, uh, there's a couple of things that you need to look out for, and especially in commodities, it's seasonality and stuff, mm-hmm. right? So you know, of summer course. winter spreads, uh, different harvest grain seasons, you know, those type of things. Absolutely. It's a, a diffi- easy to be to become trapped up there if you don't know what what that means, um, but. Speaking about the trading of those markets, you've mentioned that you've moved to becoming a liquidity provider. I think this is what I've heard. And liquidity provision yeah, yeah, to yeah, the yeah, markets yeah. means that um, you're placing orders into the limit order book. If you want to buy, you're placing a uh, an order into the limit order book to buy at a level that is lower than the current market price because that provides liquidity and vice versa, you're doing it with a sales yeah. order. What happens? if you don't get filled on your limit order? I mean, at what point do you become aggressive and start chasing the market? And to give you an example, it could be the crude the crude crash uh, that we mm. had uh, three weeks ago, right? So say you yeah. wanted to go short, right? Mm. Oh, okay, so now you're placing your sell order at, you know, 46. The market is at 45. Well, the next open is at 32. What do you do? You didn't get filled.
3: Yeah, well, well the, let's say uh, a pure liquidity taker decides on forehand what number of contracts he wants to buy in exactly which contract bond in exactly which time on exactly which exchange so then you fix all parameters and then you assure your liquidity premium payer Um, the more variables you keep open so what number of contracts exactly at what moment exactly, in which contract month exactly, on which exchange exactly. The more parameters you keep open, the better we can work as a liquidity provider. And we have this choice. It's, it's not our system doesn't say, you have to buy on the open or on the close. This buying and selling on the close at the moment is, is really terrible uh, and also destroying the, 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 the value of many markets. The settlements of some markets are really terrible. Look at LME, it's bad so it's something that you can avoid.
2: right and
0: and of
3: course and, and, and of course the element is there the let's say the more we like to buy oil the more aggressive we will be and the less we like to buy oil the less aggressive we will be but it's no it's no a zero one decision. It's not a binary decision. We are buying 1000 and we will buy 1000.
2: Yeah. So at, at, at some point, I guess, you know, you will honor the signal. And if your signal is you want to, you know, short oil, then you will have a short oil position in one way or yes. the other. It's some, you know, but
3: you, we, we will try to afford selling it at the moment that everyone is selling it. Exactly that contract month that everyone at that moment is selling.
2: Yeah. So speaking of this, this is a very interesting topic with, um, the way liquidity and and trading behavior micro market structure you know has changed focusing more on settlements and closing prices you know increased liquidity in task markets and all of that um, yeah what's your concern there
3: well look at the valuation it's 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 really an issue that the uh, some settles are so way away from what's the really underlying value it's also hurting the underlying markets um, let's say stock markets that when they are mispriced is not that bad because it's only investors that care about it and they don't make other decisions than investors do but commodity markets the 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 commodity markets they are the, the backbone of why futures markets exist yeah, the, the futures markets trading started on commodities wheat cattle some of these futures markets are more than 100 years old the whole element there is that these prices lead to uh, a well price discovery this has been an issue on uh, on cme already with cattle there the 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 price functioning element was completely gone and many of the underlying uh, uh, the, the 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 hedges they didn't trust the futures markets anymore well, at that moment, we really have an issue with the futures markets. If, if the market as such doesn't function anymore, let's say in coffee, there is many physical commodity traders that make long term agreements with, uh, with farmers to buy uh, an amount of coffee for a price that is uh, connected to the settlement of the contracts on ice. If this futures contract, the settlement of it is disturbed by someone that is banging on the clothes on such a coffee contract, then it harms uh, directly those farmers. They will not be willing to do that anymore. And that means that the futures contract is losing its basis. And when the underlying traders, the underlying producers and and, 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 uh, users do not trust that market anymore, we as market participants are doing a very, very bad job. It's our task to make these markets function and banging on a settle, which has been done a lot, is is a type of market manipulation that uh, no one should be proud of and that regulators should have a better look at. The, the amount of discussion and the claims that there have been towards banks about LIBOR, well, these settlements, these LIBOR settles, weren't that much uh, disturbed. The ones in LME in this moment are much more disturbed. It's just that regulators are not really willing yet to step in. But they should.
1: Who are the people, Harold, in your opinion, who are causing these heavy trading around settlement prices and all that? And the reason I ask is because, as far as I'm aware at least, if you take a trend-following strategy, um, the returns wouldn't change a lot, even if we delayed our entries and exits by a day (laughs) or two or three, right? So it's probably not our industry doing it. So I'm just curious, who do you think are causing this to happen who do, who do regulators fear, need to take I fear a look at it's
3: it's, it's 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 the ones that have shift that have uh, let's say split responsibilities so let's say a trader a trade is not making the signal but the execution of is part of it so let's say if you are a fundamental trader and you believe that a certain market that is at this moment trading at 98 should have a value of 100 then you could make the decision to buy. But if you uh, do not do that execution yourself, but you outsource it to another participant or another, another player or another desk in your own office, um, it could end up that the person buys the, 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 the contract at a price above 100, And then, of course, is doing something that is opposite to the own the, the original trading idea. Well, if this participant catch his fill judged against the settlement and is doing better than the settle because he was banging it on the clothes and he bought it at 101 and then it settled at 102 this executing desk will say we did a very good job we did one better than the settle so it's great mm. but the ultimate decision maker has been doing something in an indirect way which is opposed to his style mm. um, it's so generally believed at this moment, very widespread also among regulators but also among uh, many people in the in, in the science that um, that execution has no market impact that they are not willing to look at this Mm -hmm. So, it's kind of the markets are are automatically, uh, they're working out automatically uh, because they are efficient. So, uh, you as an investor have the right and and especially private investors have the right to get a good price. It doesn't work like this. It is only because all of us are willing to bid and willing to offer. And if we step away from that, if you're just throwing market orders uh, and trading a settle, for instance, yeah we are not doing a good job for the market and this ultimately will harm us because no one of us is you can say okay we are trading this futures contract but if ultimately the the hatches uh, and, and the commercials are not willing to trade the futures contract anymore because it doesn't it, it has completely lost its match with the underlying market then uh, we cannot trade that contract anymore either you know so it's a responsibility of us to to make sure that we we are there in the market, and we can, and we have the right to 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 profit from it by running trends and so on. It's nothing wrong with that, but it's not our job to destroy the market or to make it dysfunction.
2: I I, I agree with that. Now, in you know years back, um, without all the almost twenty-four-hour electronic trading sessions and the pits still open, the trading days and the trading sessions were much shorter. You know, a yeah. couple of hours. That's it, right? Maybe a lunch break in between even. Um, let's let's take this to an extreme point and say a market is only open for one auction a day. That's it. There's no intraday trading. Everybody has to trade, you know, yeah. in one concentrated period of time
3: that produces the settlement price. All the liquidity is there. Would you like that? No, because that would happen if the people trading in these auctions are... And not bringing in price-insensitive au- uh, orders. The big problem is that too many participants are also in auction bringing in price-insensitive orders. So they are bu- willing to buy against every price. So the the big issue at the moment there is this: the discussion with um, equity traders in Europe that want shorter trading hours for equity markets. And one of the uh, one of their uh, arguments is that uh, then they have more time to uh look at uh, special events numbers of the, st- of the stock uh, the company gave uh, dividend numbers or uh, quarterly results and they can have a better t- uh, more time to judge those events and to find a good market price um well this sounds good but then think about when the ecb is gathering and making a change to the interest rate they do it when the futures markets of uh, interest rate instruments and the currency is just open it's just trading and it's no problem at all labor numbers coming out it's no problem at all the futures markets that are trading at the moment when information important very relevant information come out are very good in uh, processing that news Because the only ones trading at those moments are the ones that are active traders, that are willing to sell at a certain price, willing to buy at a certain price. These passive traders that throw in orders to be filled at every moment will not throw in that orders exactly at that moment. They do so on the opening or when the session starts to trade. So when news has been coming out, you often see extreme price moves on the opening. And then it finds an equilibrium. When news comes out through during market hours you have a less extreme price moves in there so the market functions better as long as there is no passive participants in there if you have only one auction period then you have constantly all during every moment available moment there is this passion uh, these passive ones are in there
2: correct i mean you i think you know what you're saying is um if if only active traders that had a real interest and a real need to be participating in the market participated in that one single auction, that would be fine. But because of yes. price-insensitive passive money that needs to track and benchmark against the settlement or closing price and they don't really care where that price is, yeah. then that's a problem. Um, so the same, I think you can then say for the in in the cash equity markets where you have an opening auction and the closing auction if there's price yeah. insensitive flow hitting the opening auction or the closing yeah. auction that will also be a distorted price at that point in time now there probably nobody cares that much because you know you're not selling coffee or any like you know physical goods anyway let spinning that in a more like maybe a general question which you know every once in a while um I get asked or maybe we get asked as an industry and in a more like, a, in, a, in a challenging way is um, you're trading those futures markets in the commodities, the agricultural markets, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. Long or short, we're in both ways. Um, yeah. Are you really doing anything that would harm the producers or the farmers or impact um, impact the, the way the commodity de- are you doing anything that's bad because you're trading coffee you know this or, is the German question it is but you know in the context in the context of ESG I know it isn't, but it's probably also <laughs> yeah, yeah. a Scandinavian question and probably also a Dutch question oh,
0: yeah it's absolutely. like you know
2: you're, you're participating in those markets but really yeah. you could say you have no business doing that because you're neither a cotton farmer nor are you a, a, a milk producer or anything like that right so so what yeah, are you yeah. doing there? And you can always come back with the argument, well, you know, we're long and we're short, Um, we're providing liquidity, we're helping price discovery, but I sense that for many people that argument is just not good enough, and they will say... Yeah,
3: but that's okay. But here again, uh, uh, ESG is is, is, is a very interesting thing here, because um, if you want to make a Good decision. That's best for the environment and best for the, uh, the the functioning of market and so on. You end up a more complex story. And if you want to make an easy story, you make the opposite decision. So for instance, there, um, in commodity trading, there is some uh, pension funds that said uh, we do not want to trade long oil futures anymore because oil is uh, is uh, what is it? uh It's uh, uh,
1: it's not making it's a, the earth It's a clean. scarce res- right. Okay. Yeah, um.
3: so it's... Uh, um, but it's... Uh, and we only want to trade uh, agricultural commodities. And they trade them long only. While trading long only in agricultural commodity futures is absolutely stupid. Also from a market functioning part of uh, way, but also from an ESG point of view it's a more complex story because what people do want to hear is you know what we are long wheat and by doing so we add to feeding the world well the only reason why there is futures markets in wheat is that there is investors uh, speculators required investors required that are willing to take the risk in wheat and the risk is wheat is that there is a a crop get lost to too many rain or no rain at all and then the price will explode so the risk premium normally you get in agricultural crops is by being short so passive investors that are long passive long in crops are harming the market instead of adding to it and so that's something we will never do but it's also very relevant in this thing and that's the choice that we made is uh, much of this trading in commodities is done via uh, commodity indices And in these commodity indices, there's a very mixed element. It is oil markets there together with, let's say, cocoa or sugar and so on. Well, cocoa and oil have nothing to do with each other. So we have made the decision a few years ago that we do not want to trade those indices. We are not trading them anymore any commodity index we no, trade local, I, I think we trade oil we trade all these commodity markets but we are not willing to trade commodity indices because they are harming the market and and make the market dysfunction instead of helping them function
2: yeah i think that is that is almost i mean i i, I agree 100% because what what is a commodity a commodity every single one of them is really different yeah. And uh, so putting them in a basket and calling this commodities is like an oxymoron because you're trading yes. a basket of things that is really diversified by itself. Yeah. Why would that be a good basket to trade? It's, it's you know, yeah, you need so to that's, take that's them individually. You could you could make the same argument even for an equity index. And oh, say, there's, you know, there's some
3: equity index that we stop trading as well. There's same in, this, basket. in and, But
2: yeah. um, so with the, you know, we're, we're not... If, if there's a producer that, you know, a farmer, a grain farmer that wants to sell his or her wheat forward, right? Yeah. They need to find a buyer. Yeah, but the, why
3: would a farmer want to sell his wheat forward?
2: Well, to, for instance, uh, reduce price risk, Right. And price
3: Yeah, but he will, the, the thing is, a farmer will only do so... Then once he will sure have that, the
2: risk of production, right? <laughs> yes,
3: so that, that's the thing. So this so idea that, that the farmers are the ones selling forward is, 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 is a misconception. Uh, the farmers aren't the ones that are willing to sell. They, they only want to sell when they are sure that their own production has become a success.
2: Exactly. So it depends on okay. what time they want to do it. If they're yes. very uncertain, they want to sell when they know that they have the grain and it's a good a good yeah. crop, right? Which they can harvest, say, in you know four weeks time. They may want to lock in the price and you know sell yeah. the, sell the futures. At what point, you know, you would need to find a speculator to pick it up at a discount in order to be enticed to do that right? But yeah. I agree with that. It is a highly dynamic function. In yeah. every market, it's different. We're yeah. on both sides of the market, depending on the trend. We're not hoarding commodities away from the market. We're not keeping the coffee in our garages no. so that it rods, right? And nobody can drink our, coffee. Our role
3: is to, to be able to, to to willing to bear short term risk. Exactly. Uh, that that's a role of an investor. We are willing to add to to add to the price discovery process, so we should not dis- disturb that. And we're reducing to to spreads, and
2: we add liquidity. So yeah, it's it's a sensible function, I think, for us to be. And, and we in have the to markets. take
3: that function serious, and if we do so, we are we are fulfilling our role, and we have to be willing to explain what our role is. And sometimes that can be that we do opposite thing that than people on first hand would expect.
2: So how can we get it out of people's heads? And it seems to be so chiselled into their brains that policies exist for institutional investors which are firmly in place where they decided we're not touching agricultural commodities they say it's yeah. no longer allowed no coffee no cotton no cocoa no sugar is yeah. allowed in our portfolio it's not,
1: not
3: that many yet but yeah there is oh
2: quite well i think there's 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 yeah, quite yeah. a few and they're really large right so yeah, they're, yeah. they're 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 not doing that anymore and it seems to me that around the year 2010 when commodity prices were higher something hit them and they were told, yeah. don't do it. And they immediately believed it without questioning it.
3: Yeah, yeah. And no, in uh, 2010, and then, there was, there was, there was uh, we, we spoke uh, last pension. I was giving a guest lecture on, on ESG, commodity trading. And the professor there was working for a big pension fund. Uh, in 2010, this pension fund had been uh, attacked by the media f- for trading agricultural commodities. And now, because oil trading was wrong, they suddenly uh, were thinking about trading only agricultural commodities and stop trading the oil. So it's uh, a an, an media attack that within ten years they had to make a 100% turn uh, or 180 degrees turn. It's, so it's a very strange, strange thing that can happen. And what it's all about is that uh, people are willing to explain what they are doing. And this is something that you see happening in ESG in stock markets already when it started it was a lot like it was only exclusion uh, we don't not trade in uh weapon fer- uh, firms we do not trade in cigarette firms and so on it was just exclusion and now what you see is that the countries where it started they still start have to they start to make more choices like oh no it's dependent on the way they are traders so this, this this hard exclusions that is still it's only the let's say the last participants that suddenly want to do esg because they are forced to they choose an exclusion policy but the ones that are ahead are making a better choice they are saying okay what is the role of this specific market what we are doing is writing a series of articles on it and and explain what we what kind of choices we make and why we make those choices but again that is something that takes reading 15 minutes maybe and for Many participants, they want to know a simple thing that can be solved in five seconds. Well, for the five second public, we cannot make any um, reasonable and uh, a choice, a responsible choice. Uh, responsible in investing always starts by taking time to think about what we are really doing. And if you do not want to spend time thinking what we are really doing, and if you want to work for investors that do not want to spend time thinking what we are really working, really doing, then we cannot respond in a responsible way.
1: Um, just in, in consideration of time, of course, um, we don't want to um, overstep our welcome when it comes to, to your time, Harold, but I'm sure we have a few more questions we want to uh Uh, go through just staying on the point of market and maybe we'll move on to other things we've talked a lot about markets specifically but just one one maybe one point about markets that i wanted to bring up i think back um, around 2012 2013 i think you wrote uh, a paper uh called hay fires and self heating and um and and i think the question you were talking about or or from memory that it had to do you know that this big question we hear from time to time have markets changed yeah um, have markets changed?
3: Markets have changed, and they will continue changing. On a technical way, uh, and and markets change because uh, society is changing. And if markets would stop trading, stop changing, they would stop trading. So they exist because they are changing. Just like you and I, we are living because we are moving. Once mm. we stop moving, we will stop living.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, um, I think it all, it all, it always changes. And yeah, the only thing that
3: doesn't change is that it keep on changing.
1: Yeah, true, <laughs> very true. And and you know, and this is also why I think sometimes I'm kind of uh, puzzled that people find it so difficult to um, um, agree that um, a, a a healthy or boldly sized allocation to a strategy that essentially at the core. Um, you know exploits change rather than a lot of the other strategies that like stability um, that that isn't a good idea to be in the uh, in, in a portfolio and that's another thing I wanted to bring up with you you know last time we had uh, a crisis that people remember was of course back in 2008 2009 uh, for a short time uh, it was great uh, to be a CTA in terms of interest people love to to uh, talked to us and, uh, you know, we saw a lot of money flowing uh, our way as an industry. Um, It also changed quite quickly. Um, People got disappointed. So we had redemptions going the other way after a year or so. Um, Maybe back then, uh, you know, this was before actually. Um, you know, Katie came up with the word crisis alpha. So I don't think we can blame it on crisis alpha, and then you know, no crisis uh, and no alpha, so to speak. <laughs> but but how do we avoid getting into that same situation? I mean, I'm sure there's always already some managers who see redemptions because we're liquid, we've made money, we haven't lost. So now they're using CTAs again as a kind of an ATM to to uh, plug holes elsewhere in the portfolio. But, but more importantly, how do we think about it a little bit differently this time so that we don't end up hopefully now having a good time, people renewed interest in what we do, and... Um, how do we avoid another 2009, 10, 11, where we just saw disappointed investors leave the industry? No, and I, maybe think,
3: we... I think one of the things that happened at that period was before uh, CTAs were not accepted at all, uh, sh- certainly not if the large public. And then in response to that success, there came an easy understood, very simplistic story and uh, we all, also, uh, also our investment people, uh, added to that, embraced that story a little bit too enthusiastic because it was a success. And making this somewhat narrow story ultimately was the good thing. There was much more nuance in it. And uh, as long as we we're willing to tell about the nuances and and these different elements, uh, then we have a much longer lasting story. But that was typically what happened there was this, this, this easy understood, uh, well embraced story was uh, yeah, we, we even uh, started to believe it ourselves. And, and, <laughs> and that's a bad thing. It's good to be yeah. able to explain things in a simple way. But if we start to behave like that, it, um, it's not a success. Yeah. So, it, it's yes, it, it may not be seem that complex what all of us are doing but it's a little more complex than just, let's say, one or two factors, and that's it.
1: Another thing you write about, I think you've written about in the past, um, is, you know, robustness, the importance of robustness, as far yeah. as I recall. And now I think people, and I I talk about robustness as well. I mean, I think that, again, we talked about this earlier today, that some of these more... Um, um, "Quote unquote sophisticated uh, systems we've seen come come uh, you know on stream in the last few years have maybe turned out to be not as robust as they thought they were, but maybe our." Slightly simpler approach to to markets um, are again showing, um, you mm-hmm. know, this level of robustness. But, but for people who don't know what we mean by robustness when we talk about, you know, system design or or, or whatever portfolio construction. I mean, what 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 are what are the things that spring to mind when you think about and write about robustness and the importance of that?
3: Now, well, one element of robustness, an important element, is that we don't get. Uh, Hit and disturbed and add to short-term price disturbances. Well, a very classical, traditional way of trend following was having stops in. We have never had that, but that was a very popular way. Uh, in the period when there was no electronic trading and there was no flash crashes, you could say, okay, it worked because in between the market and uh, and and the strategy, there was uh, floor brokers that uh, didn't make flash crash happen. Once the markets have become completely electronic, there is flash crashes, and they happen a lot. And using stops and having them in the market is uh, very uh, not robust because you can be sure that if you have a flash crash, you will add to it instead of uh, being opposite to that. Right. So it's it's a very simple way of saying okay, uh, being robust means you're not having stops in markets because you can be very sure that short-term disturbances will hit you and uh, you will add to the disturbance. So there is yeah. where responsible investing and being robust go hand by hand in hand.
1: I mean, a lot of strategies, I, I imagine, still uses, um, certainly in the trend space, I mean, still uses stops. Obviously, it depends on whether you leave them in the market or whether you kind of pick them up and, mm-hmm. and execute them once they're done and all that. But but yeah, I mean, that that's an interesting observation what else have you got on your plate moritz before we start to to wrap up um our conversation today
2: yeah i think we're getting uh getting close to wrapping up but maybe maybe one uh, one question and uh, uh it's a shame that our good friend jerry isn't here he would like that as well we brought it up it's the vault targeting question which gets us going <laughs> oh my god um maybe You're not bringing maybe, that up now yeah, moritz? bring it now I, i'm, I'm hoping right. for a very Talk. short answer but um What's your view, I mean, does it make sense or, you know, just just explain your view, would you say, okay, a CTA program should have a volatility target of X, say X equals 15 and then uh, you change positions uh, maybe on a daily basis or every once in a while in order to match that precise volatility target?
3: We never have had any volatility target.
1: Okay, great. Answer taken. We can wrap it up. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> but 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 here's the thing let's put some context on this because i, I do think it's important right because yeah yeah now
3: it's, um, it's it's about downside risk so we we try we strive to control downsize risk uh downside risk uh in what would happen in an extreme event so of course when markets are becoming more volatile the positions will have to be smaller if you cannot find diversification within the portfolio uh then you have to downsize the positions to Prevent the sound downside risk from becoming too big. But there is so th- it sounds
1: like Harold. So it sounds like justifying trying to turn to, a turn to a drop. Because I we're kind of on the same side, I think, as you guys, meaning we have a daily target for our overall risk. And that, yeah. and that daily target can change, that can vary. So we do adjust our positions you know, theoretically on a daily basis, but that's based on a risk budget yes. we have to stay within. Uh, Moritz comes from a different camp where he does not change his position size, right? It is it is what it is from the day yeah. one, and so so does Jerry, and that's fine as well. And then you have in this in the middle camp that we can both agree doesn't make a lot of sense, and that's the vol targeting yeah. where you just say, oh, yeah, my vol should always be 15%. That, I think, we all agree no. is... Not how if, we would if, like if it.
3: If we if we see no market move, we are not going to make all positions uh, in uh, what is it uh, uh, unlimited large to make sure that we have the fall that we want. Uh, if there's no movement, we should have no position, and then the uh, our volatility will be zero. Um, yep. But there's a big difference between the volatility of the program and the volatility of the markets market. that are part of the program. Uh, now look at last March. The volatility of our program, the daily volatility, has been very, very low. The mm. volatility of the markets in the program is huge. We have had days that we made huge profits on some positions while we made huge losses on other positions. And that's the idea with diversification. That's why we have this mm. diversification idea that we, we strive for. So we are not uh, striving to have some kind of volatility that is only uh, often it uh, looking backwards uh, it, it works great um but it's it's too academic and too far away from reality this 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 volatility targeting idea
1: yeah i think we all agree on that um in terms of um just just maybe to round off from from my side um overall another theme that that comes up from time to time um, and we'll see how when it comes up next and that is this thing about that there's too much money in trend following and there's crowdedness and all of those things um, what are your what are your thoughts on that
3: um, if all trend followers were doing exactly the same thing then there was too much money in trend following if trend following cta's are all doing different things there's way enough room for uh, for trend followers
1: I think we all feel that there's not enough money in trend following, actually. So
3: <laughs> yeah, but one of the reasons is because we are doing more separate things right now. But you can, it, it's very simple. You can see uh, where too much money is, in it, as you see a very large price movement, uh, a, a, a fix is exploding or whatsoever, and you have to see, okay, wh- who's buying in the exploding fix? That's where the overcrowded strategies. As, yeah. as long as we are, buying in collapsing stock markets and selling when they are going high highly up because we are uh, for some kind of reason adding positions or take volatility adjustments or whatsoever then we are not the overcrowded area it's it's yeah. where where the big market moves and the extreme market moves come from that's the area where there was overcrowding uh, a part of uh, let's say the large decline of stock markets now is also because there was somewhat too much money long stocks so they had to come down <laughs>
1: It's interesting because I, I do think that, that it's more often you hear about people complaining about overcrowdedness and trend following, yet they never talk about overcrowdedness and say risk parity. And I think last you know, the last month has shown that oh well, there probably was a bit of overcrowding yeah. and risk parity, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's uh yeah, like well, there we are. There we are. What else? I mean, is there anything on your mind, how uh, Harold, you just want to express uh, any thoughts you've had in the last couple of weeks that you think uh, is going to be interesting for people to think about, discuss. Um, obviously, we have a pretty wide audience here. Of, uh, well, the number I one thing to, for think the most to think part about of all of us
3: is uh, to, to be uh, careful for your own health and especially for the health of your parents.
1: Uh, That's very true. It's,
3: it's the number one attention at this moment. And um, apart from that, uh, keep on doing our thing.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Any final thought from you, Moritz? Uh, today, I'm going to run through the markets. So let's uh, run through the markets. I think we're we're approaching one and a half hours, and it's been it's been a
2: great discussion.
1: Sure, sure, sure. I mean, just from a, from the usual indices we follow um, as of Thursday evening, I think yesterday was a pretty quiet day as far as I can tell, um, but the BTOP50 index uh, was up a little bit for the month of April, which is only a few days, of course, but still down about 1.83, uh, 1.83% for the, for the year. Uh, the um, the CTA, Sock Gen CTA index uh, is up three quarters of a percent and, uh, up, you know, slightly up for the year. Then the trend index, which I think the three of us uh, would belong to, so to speak, in terms of uh, peer group, up one percent for April already, up three point three percent for the month, uh, sorry for the year. The short-term traders index up a fraction, quarter percent so far in April, but uh, up four point two percent for the year. And the broad, uh, the flat fee index, the bridge alternatives, up a percent in April so far, and uh, up four point two two percent for the year. Um, I mean, I think if if we're pretty much feel for this time we've we've done, let's wrap it up. I mean, we hope you enjoyed the conversation. We certainly did, Moritz and I. It was great to have you on, Harold. We'll do it again soon, uh, without a doubt. Uh, And make sure, by the way, um, I know we didn't get to any questions today from uh, the audience, but... If you have any questions, as usual, send them to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll do our best to get them on the show. And of course, you can follow both Harold, I'm sure, or TransTrend, Moritz and and myself on Twitter and other social media. From Harold, Moritz, me, thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back with you next week. And in the meantime, as Harold said, stay safe.
0: Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.